Hey guys, it's me, Blake, and you're listening to another episode of Blonde Hair, Black Heart. Now, when I started this show a few weeks ago, I intended to do something really lighthearted and fun, and I honestly never would have expected the content to become so serious and political so quickly, yet here we are. Another week and another cartoon character's outfit choice has pissed off the GOP. So apparently, Disney teamed up with Beatles offspring and celebrity designer Stella McCartney to create a new look for Minnie Mouse for the 30th anniversary of Disneyland Paris and in honor of Women's History Month. The look in question? A fabulous black and blue polka dot pantsuit. Now, anti-feminist icon Candace Owen said on Fox News or OAN or one of those propaganda networks that taking Minnie Mouse out of her classic dainty dress and putting her into a masculine ensemble is destroying the quote-unquote fabric of our nation. Now, I'm not sure exactly what fabric Minnie's old dress was made out of, but I'm pretty sure it was just cotton. So here's the thing. This collab isn't redesigning Minnie's look permanently. Disney isn't going to create all new outfits for all of the characters at their parks or go back and, you know, superimpose the new pantsuit on all of Minnie's old cartoons or even design her new look into new cartoons featuring Minnie. It was literally just a marketing ploy and Republicans took the bait once again. <laughs> I just find it hilarious that Democrats are the snowflakes and the crybabies because we care about actual social issues when for the past like two years, Republicans have cried over Mr. Potato Head, Aunt Jemima, the green M&M, and now Miss Minnie Mouse. It's really sad. And, and the worst part is you guys clearly don't know anything about fashion. Minnie's new pantsuit is a Luke. Emily in Paris would 100% approve. Okay, guys, so I am so excited because we are about to get an all-new season of Celebrity Big Brother. Um, I don't know if you guys are fans of Big Brother. I was never a fan of the show. Now, it's it's been on for like... 20 plus years and I never watched it until I um, started dating my husband and he and his family had watched it for you know decades and I always thought it was akin to um, the real world where it was just a bunch of people living in a house and there were hidden cameras everywhere and I knew that there were like live feeds and they were always being watched but but that's kind of the gist of what I understood I thought it was just like a voyeuristic type show no, you guys, it is the greatest competition reality series in the history of competition reality series. It's so fucking good. So the long and short of it is that there's, you know, a group of strangers picked to live in a house. I swear it's not the real world. Um, but they all go in and ultimately you want to be the last man standing. So every week there's one person who's in charge of the house and they're called the head of household and they nominate two people to go up for eviction and then the house votes. So every week one person is kicked out, they get the boot, and you want to get to the end. So there are challenges along the way, and that's how you, you know, win your role as the head of household. And there's there's all different types of challenges. So there's like physical strength challenges, there's mental challenges, there's like um, memory competitions. There, I mean, there's a lot of social stuff involved because you want to make it to the end of the summer, because um, with with the regular version, not the celebrity version, it uh, takes place over three months over the summer. And so you want to make it to the end of the summer and be the last person, but you also don't want to be like the best at everything because then people are going to try and 
vote you out because they don't want you to make it to the end. So there's a lot of strategy involved. There's a lot of scheming. People form alliances. People lie to each other. It's it's great. And when they um, started doing the celebrity version a few years ago, it it was clear that the format worked really well with celebrities too uh, because, you know, celebrities are batshit crazy and you're throwing them all into a house together and then like putting them in this giant social experiment which let's face it, Hollywood in and of itself is a social experiment. So th- these people are just like under a microscope already and then you put them under like 50 microscopes. So it's great television. Um, and I'm I'm super excited and I've been super excited and they've been teasing the announcement of the celebrity cast. So we finally last week learned who all is going to be moving into the Celebrity Big Brother house. So let's uh, go over those together now. So we have Cynthia Bailey, who is from The Real Housewives of Atlanta. We have Todd Bridges from Different Strokes. What you talking about, Willis? We have Todrick Hall, who is a YouTuber, and he's been on Drag Race, and he starred on Broadway, and he um, supposedly doesn't pay his dancers. Uh, Then we have Chris Kattan from SNL, um, a.k.a. Mr. Peepers. (laughs) Uh, Chris Kirkpatrick from NSYNC. He was um, arguably the like lowest man on the NSYNC totem pole. Uh, he might as well have been in 98 Degrees. Then we have Carson Kressley from Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. Teddy Mellencamp, who is um, John Mellencamp's daughter and uh, infamously the most boring housewife of all time from The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Then we have Shanna Mochler, who was previously married to Travis Barker. Then we have Mirai Nagasu, who is a um, Olympic bronze medal winner, a figure skater. Lamar Odom, who I think is like an athlete, but he was married to a Kardashian. I mean, that's how I know him. And then um, Maisha Tate, who is a women's UFC fighter. So um, a lot of these people I, I don't know all too well, but there are a few names that um, do give me a lot of hope for you know, bring in the drama that we need. I'm excited for um, Shanna Mochler and Lamar Odom to both be in there because I'm sure they're going to talk about the Kardashian family. Like, that they have to, you know? And the great thing about Big Brother is that the cameras never drop. Like, they're literally, there are cameras in the bathrooms. Um, so they can't sneak off to, to talk shit about the Kardashians. Like, we're going to see all of it. Um, obviously, I'm a big Bravo fan, so I'm excited for both of the housewives to be on there. Um, they're both kind of, like, notoriously boring housewives, though. So I'm hoping that this kind of different format will... Uh, spark something new from them i'm kind of just anticipating that teddy's gonna get in there and just like want to starve everyone and cynthia is going to like try to form alliances but then she's gonna make you sign a friendship contract and then like she's gonna accidentally leave it out somewhere and someone's gonna find the contract and then know she's in an alliance and it's gonna get her in trouble and they're gonna be put up on the block and then they're gonna get voted out and it's gonna be a thing um so yeah so that's like what i feel about that (laughs) um trying to think chris Catan, i think will be funny um i don't know it's it's so different with the celebrities because it's much shorter it's a much quicker run they're only in there for like three or four weeks versus the three months uh so a lot of the gameplay is a little different oh and here's the other thing my other gripe about teddy going in there so i heard on her podcast that she does with tamara judge um they were talking about this and she had like never even seen big brother so she once she was cast they go into um quarantine or like to be sequestered and this was something that they did even prior to COVID because you're isolated from the world. They take your phone away. Like you're, you have no idea what's happening outside of the four walls of the big brother house. So they're all sequestered. 
And during this time of her being sequestered slash quarantined, now she's like trying to binge watch some seasons to, to catch up. But like, like I said, the show's been on for 20 years. There's so many ins and outs and like so many of the, um, like quote unquote, big brother isms are things that like progressed naturally over the course of the show because of the contestants. So like you, you just learn so much by watching it. You learn so much of the strategy and the gameplay and like what works and what doesn't work. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm hoping that she's like the only one that's going in there, a big brother virgin, because part of what makes big brother work is like that super fan element and like knowing the ins and outs of everything, because it is, like I said, it's a strategy game. It's a mind game. It's, um, it's not just like a physical competition type game. Like there's a lot of thinking that goes into it. And when you watch the show over, you know, the course of years, like I said, you learn what works and what doesn't work. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm really excited. I think it starts like this week or next week, but I will be talking about it. So um, you should watch it. So you know what the fuck I'm talking about. Unlike Teddy Mellencamp. Now, coming up in a little bit, I've got a really fun conversation with my friend Alex Johnson of the band Drive Drive, where he talks all about his wild times on the road and his debauchery as a rock star. But you know that I couldn't talk about debauchery without recapping the Vanderpump Rules Season 9 reunion. So I want to go through this with you guys. Um, TBH, I thought the reunion was better than the entire season. It kind of gave me hope again for the future of Vanderpump Rules. So I'm I'm excited that uh, this might be the start of, of uh, the Pump Rules rebirth. Because there was a time, let us not forget, that Vanderpump Rules was lauded as the best reality show on TV by Vogue magazine. Like this is, this is a, a thing. Vanderpump Rules, you know, in its prime was incredible. So I saw some glimmers of, of that Vanderpump Rules again during the reunion. Um, so when it started, we right out the gate find out about James and Raquel's breakup. And I have to say that watching them both explain their breakup, they're both really, really mature. But, you know, speaking to James specifically, this might be the most mature that we have ever seen him, you know, in all of his six I think six years on Vanderpump Rules. And and yeah, during the reunion, I thought they both were really mature. They they were both really respectful of one another and of themselves and of the the relationship. Um and, and I'm not saying that, you know, I, I'm not going to try and tell people how they should or shouldn't, um, you know, move on or grieve a relationship, but I don't like how Raquel has been handling it since then, like off screen. I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, the night that the reunion aired, um, all over social media, Raquel had a viewing party, but it was like an unengagement party, and they were just like celebrating the breakup, and she had a balloon of an engagement ring that she popped, and you know, it's like, I, I, I don't think that that's necessarily the wrong thing to 
do. I just think that like blasting it all over social media was, you know, if your girlfriends want to rally around you and celebrate your singleness and, and all of that, like that's totally fine. But I think posting it all over Instagram, especially when you're, you know, public figures, it's not like you can just post this to your close friends and no one's going to see it. Like it got picked up and shared everywhere. James is going to see it. And if you guys are claiming to be breaking up you know, in a really amicable place and you want the best for each other, then I just think it's a little bit tacky to do that to your ex-partner. Um, but again, I mean, James has been a nightmare. So maybe at this point, she's just like fed up and, and fuck you. And it's not my job to protect you anymore. And that's all fair as well. Uh, you know, but for me on the outside, it, it didn't seem like a good look for Raquel. It made her seem petty. And I, I don't want that for her. I think she's better than that. Um, they did also reveal that they haven't been having sex for like two years, which is a huge yikes, you know, like obviously people get busy and the more you're with someone like, and the older you get and the more responsibilities you have and and life. And I, I understand like, you know, me and my husband aren't fucking like bunnies anymore, but you know, a week is a lot, you know, two years. I can't, I can't even imagine. Um, that's big, big, big red flags there. Um, the conversation of Raquel's nose job came back up. And if you listen to my first interview with, um, or I'm sorry, my first episode where I interviewed Katie Maloney, I talked about this and I, <laughs> I get questionable vibes there. I still am really skeptical about what went down with the nose. Um, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. I don't really necessarily want to touch that because I think that, um, it was a little more, insidious than we think i i i uh, i don't want to i don't want to say that but i it's what i think so yeah um one of my favorite parts of the reunion actually was charlie and sheena kind of going up against each other and i feel like charlie really brings it at the reunions she did last season two where she was you know going up against jackson and i i just i really enjoy reunion charlie um i wish we could get more of that during the season and, uh, you know, on the flip side of that, I, I just, I'm deciding that I cannot stand Sheena, um, season Sheena or reunion Sheena, like anytime Sheena, I just, I, I cannot, I, I do not vibe with Sheena Shea. Um, so yeah, I mean, she's just, she's so phony to me. She's so superficial. She's also like hugely hypocritical. Everything that she says about other people, I, I think she embodies herself. Everything that she does to other people is something that she would complain about herself. So yeah, I, I, I really can't get on board with Sheena. And you know, when she's, uh, or it's revealed that she told Charlie and Raquel not to be friends with Danica. And like, she's giving this excuse of like, well, I went through a miscarriage and so I didn't want to be around her. To me, it felt like she was using her baby and her miscarriage as like a, a defense a lot. And I I don't think that that's fair. I mean, obviously going through a miscarriage, I can't imagine. And, and I do not wish that upon anyone. Um, and obviously like, you know, becoming a new mom, all of those things are very, very valid, but I just didn't see how her miscarriage had anything to do with Danica. And I don't understand how those things have, have to do with Charlie and Raquel being friends with Danica. I don't know. It all just seemed like she was making excuses and like she's using her baby and her miscarriage as an excuse. And that 
feels icky to me. Um, plus it's all just like very Stassi season one. Like you can't be friends with her and you can't be friends with them. And, you know, Sheena always claimed to be the anti-Stassi and she always tried to, to act like she was the good one and everyone else was the mean ones. And she always worries about, you know, the mean girls coming back after her again. But like, I feel like we've seen her be the mean girl more and more over the past few seasons than anyone else. Another example of Sheena's hypocrisy comes when the conversation about Lala and Randall's relationship is brought up. Um, I mean, this is kind of by proxy through Brock, but, you know, he's making all of these snide comments under his breath about Lala and how she was with this married guy and she didn't have to, you know, pick up on the signs because she was benefiting from the, the glitz and glamour of the lifestyle and blah, blah, blah. But the whole time I'm thinking, like, Boy, you sure have a lot to say about that considering Sheena's history with married men. Like, should we give Brandy Glanville a call? You know, I also thought it was kind of weird how everyone um, really defended themselves uh, when when it was brought up as to why no one told Lala about Randall's um, creep-in, since they all apparently knew about it. And everyone, you know, was really firm in saying, well, you, you didn't allow us to talk about him and you know LVP even said they were protecting you by not bringing it up on camera and my question is well did anyone bring it up to her off camera you know in nine seasons we've never seen this cast um tread lightly around one another there's never a shortage of secrets to be revealed or dirty laundry to be aired so I don't know I, I just feel like it is weird that if all of them knew this was going on, that no one said anything to her. And if it was to protect her, then yeah, pull her aside off camera and tell her, like, how was she protected in this at all? Um, ultimately, for me, I think my MVPs of the season were Lala and Katie. Um, and that's surprising to me because they, in past seasons, would not have been my MVPs. But I... I enjoyed the reunion, like I said, and I'm hoping for a season 10. Um, and, you know, when we talked to Katie, she she teased that anything is possible. So maybe we'll get one. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll see some old faces. Maybe we won't. Um, I don't know. As long as we don't have to deal with Billy Lee again. She she really annoyed me. <laughs> Okay, guys, I am here with my good friend, lead vocalist and guitarist for the band Drive Drive. This is Alex Johnson. Hey, Alex. Hey, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm actually really good. Good. I got to to relax yesterday and today's back to work. Oh, well, I mean, the the work never stops for a rock and roll icon, right? (laughs) Oh <laughs> well, so so for our listeners uh, who don't know, Alex is, uh, like I said, the lead singer of the band Drive Drive. If you don't know their music, you guys have to go check it out. They're phenomenal. But Alex, how would you describe Drive Drive as a band and how would you describe your guys' music style? Um, so I think that was like when we first started, it was really hard just because kind of when you first start out as any musical project, everyone's like, you know, what's like your genre, who would you, you know, compare yourself to, but we kind of just narrowed it down to like alternative pop. Um, And a lot of our influences come from kind of everywhere. Like I grew up on like pop punk and um, kind of more of the edgy, angsty. Yeah. (laughs) Genre, but uh, yeah, like, you know, it's, it's pop, but like full band and kind of with an edge to it. And 
um yeah and it's it's like the killers or 1975 laney you know some similar bands like that i guess is kind of what we get compared to sometimes yeah there's definitely like a like a retro like 80s vibe to the sound for sure um but i mean you touched on how you you come from kind of like this alt uh background you were you were a bit of an emo kid weren't you (laughs) i was yeah i was i was yeah i'm the emo kid you were the emo kid (laughs) yeah the quintessential uh i straightened my hair at one point i was um wearing skinny jeans before they were they were made for guys right. which was always an interesting uh thing to I re- think about yeah i remember like in high school the the group of guys who like really you know leaned into the emo thing and they would have to go shopping in the girl section but you know that especially at the time in like the early 2000s that could have been a huge blow to one's masculinity but like the emo guys didn't care you know it was like such a a, a badass thing you know it was really like come to think of it now because you know like I I was living in Raleigh North Carolina at the peak of my like trying to start you know being in a band and everything and doing that and it really was like uh, you know it, it was hard just because you're like you're you know you're in a band and you're playing music but that was kind of like the first time I had ever experienced like you know, guys like being homophobic or being like weird about, oh, your, your pants are so, you know, even I had like relatives that were like, why are your pants so uh, tight? And, you right. know, like, you know, you should dress like a normal Right. But, the, whatever, but the, you know? the alternative, like what was normal back then was like baggy pants that were like way below your ass. So it's like, yeah. you know, which is really the lesser of two evils here. I'd go with the skinny jeans over the like ass showing baggy pants, you know? Yeah, it was, uh, was, yeah, because I grew up in Sacramento, California, and I was, like, uh, even as a skater, like, having baggy jeans was, like, the cool thing, and I remember my my dad being, like, how do you even skateboard with your pants, like, falling down around your ankles, and I was, like, well, you have, like, your one arm holding them up, and then, you know, the other one, so. Exactly, or you see the guys that do the, like, the the duck walk, where they have to, like, spread their legs really far, and kind of, like, waddle just to keep their pants from falling down. Yeah, no, I, I definitely... Uh, much prefer the skinny jean and I I entered skinny jeans when they became like trendy like post emo but even even as they're starting to fade out now like I don't know what are the kids saying chuggy have you heard that things are like chuggy now if they're have you heard that it's like what it's what the gen z kids are saying as like lame or outdated things are chuggy and I think um yeah I don't know uh I think skinny jeans are chuggy now but I'm never taking mine off you know (laughs) I don't yeah it's like you know, I've, I have my style. Um, I, I just like form fitting clothes in general. I think, you know, uh, yeah. well, when you're like us, we're like tall, lanky. I feel like we need that, that kind of, yeah. Yeah. That like tall slim. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, okay. So you and I met several years ago when uh, I was living in Nashville, that's where you live now. Um, and at the time you were releasing music and performing as a solo artist. So tell me about that time and, um, kind of what made you decide you wanted to move forward, uh, in forming a band rather than pursuing, you know, the, the solo lane. Yeah. So I moved here. I really had no idea kind of what I knew I wanted to do music and, you know, write songs and, and all that, but Nashville was so different. It's very much like a solo driven kind of career where everyone comes here already, like as a solo artist or songwriter, Um, there are collaborations, but it's not like when I got here, there were like really no bands. It was like one artist, but then they hire like a full band. So 
I decided I was like, oh, you know, like I'll just start like a, a solo pop project. And pop was kind of, I moved here almost seven years ago now. And I mean, it was a very small like pop circle. And so I didn't really know what to do, where to go, uh, but I started it. And, you know, I had some friends helping me out with like live shows. My friend Rob um, on drums, um, he plays for a great band called the Foxies now, but um, it was really weird. Like I did it for about a year, year and a half. And then I really missed just like being able to have like a band and just create with others. And so, yeah, it was kind of a lonely, like, I don't want to say, like I was working with people, but it just wasn't the same. Like you couldn't like, if like, you know, something cool happened, like if we were to hit a milestone on Spotify or something like, like now I have a band that I can like celebrate with, but I, it was just nice to like, it's nice to have other people to like, you know, do that with. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think too, in terms of like performing, there's, uh, there's something about having, you know, a full band with you there on stage to really vibe with. And, and, um, you know, if you're, if you're a true solo artist and a lot of solo artists, you know, um, when they're starting out, they don't have the, the opportunity to play with a full live band. So you're either playing to a track or you have like a DJ playing your mix behind you or whatever it is. And like, you're solely responsible for the energy of the entire performance by yourself. And that can be a lot of pressure on one singular person to like maintain that, that energy for, you know, 30, 45 minutes to an hour. So having a band there, I mean, once, one person starts it's like that that those energy levels are just heightened and you build off of each other so i'm sure you guys just have a blast together on stage yeah i think that's that's kind of where i i realized you know even though you know maybe the music's not you know trendy or gonna be like what everyone's like thinks is hot right now but at least we're enjoying what we're doing and at the end of the day like i think that matters most like if you're writing to just fill like a, you know, like, you know, to fill a pocket of what like the the industry is telling you like, oh, like this like dark pop thing is hot right now. And like, you know, then you're like, oh, I'm going to do that. And then six months later, it's like, no, nah, that's, that's choky. <laughs> yeah, it's choky. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. yeah wow, you you got, no, exactly. That's how you, that's how you add it to your vocabulary. You use it in a sentence yeah. every day. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I think I just got to the point where I was like, I just want to write music that I love and with friends. And, you know, we do collaborate. Like we just did a, um, our last single, we, we collabed with an artist called baby. Um, she's really awesome, but, uh, yeah, it's just super cool to be able to like celebrate your successes or even failures with others. You know, it's, it's just camaraderie is, it just makes everything better. Yeah, absolutely. And especially in the creative lane too, like it can be so hard to um, build yourself up or talk yourself up. And it's really easy to, you know, I'm sure, you know, you write something and you're immediately like, this is shit. Like I hate it, but having a band around you, they can be um, objective and be like, no, that actually is better than you think it is. You're just beating yourself up, you know? So having those additional resources and, you know, being able to bounce ideas back and forth, that only makes you better. Um, and, and that leads me to my next question. Like, I, I want to know what's it like when the three of you guys get into the writer's room? Um, like I know, like I said, we met, um, when I was living in Nashville, I was also a songwriter and me and my husband, Matt, we actually were writing partners and we worked really well together writing because he's like, uh, the, the music guy. And then I'm the lyricist. And so we both kind of like filled our own lane. Um, but so I was just wondering like how it works with the three of you, if you guys tend to take on specific roles or if it really just kind of is uh different depending on the time in the day 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been like when, when I first started. So I had the way Drive Drive kind of started was I had written a bunch of songs and like started producing on my own, which I'd never really done before. I'd always just written songs on an acoustic guitar or piano. And then I started kind of playing with tracks and, you know, some other production. So I had like four or five songs kind of demoed out ready, but no lyrics. Um, I had some like ideas of kind of what I wanted the songs to be. But then I found Philip and uh, Gavin and they just kind of came in and they really just helped me like direct, um, especially with lyrics, like lyrics always come last for me. It's very much, I'm a melody chord structure writer where I get, I'll be in the car, just in the shower, you know, just random. And uh, I'll just pull out my phone and start like, da, 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 you know, like word vomit. Right. And um, that's, that's kind of how it starts. And then I'll pick up, you know, either, uh, you know, keyboard or my guitar and kind of figure out what I want the chords to be. But sometimes those are already kind of um, stuck in my head as well. So that's kind of how it starts. And then I might have like an idea and then I bring it to them. I send it to them like as a demo, like, or even just a weird voice memo. And they'll be like, this is dumb or this is great. So right. yeah, uh, luckily, I feel like art, all artists, I mean, musicians um, have just like, dozens and dozens and dozens of voice notes that like if anyone heard them they'd be like what crack were you smoking that day like what what is this <laughs> yeah absolutely man i've yeah i can't even i think i've gone through my voice memos once like like i just like scrolled all the way down and was like i really want to hear what i was trying to write like in 2015 um and yeah i mean like some of it i'm just like this is garbage but right uh yeah you never know like there's it's just kind of, it's crazy how like creativity in your brain works and something that you may have hated, you know, back then. And then you listen to it again. You're like, why did I never, or maybe you just forget. Like right. sometimes it's, it's like something that you just forget about and then you pick back up and you're like, oh my God, this is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's also cool to listen back and, and, uh, kind of see how you were able to flush out an idea. Like if a song now is, uh, you know, fully produced and recorded and released out into the world, then to go back and hear it in its very first iteration, which was like, you know, at four in the afternoon stuck in rush hour traffic and you just like, you know, spitting into your phone, essentially, it's cool to see that progress. Um, so you kind of touched on some of the, the band's influences, you know, we have the killers, the 1975, um, who would be some of your dream collabs, like in terms of co-writes, but then also maybe like to get on a track to do a duet with, or, you know, performance and stuff like that. Um, I love, uh, I don't ever know if I say his name, his last name right, but Charlie uh, Puth. Charlie Puth. Puth, yeah. I think Puth is a little fancier though. I kind of like it. Yeah, Charlie Puth. Charlie <laughs> Puth. Um, I think he's such a great producer and and uh, like his melodies that he does. And he's very minimalistic with how he does it too. Like he doesn't add so much that it feels like a crazy top 40 pop song where sometimes, you know, even the acoustic guitar, I'm like, God, it just sounds like they they made it sound so fake, you know? So I love how simple he is with a lot of his production. Um, them and then Five Seconds of Summer, honestly, they're they're such an underrated band, but like their last two albums have been, uh, it's a production and then, yeah, they're like, they're hooks that they write. I'm just like, it's it'd be so dope to go on tour with them. 
Yeah, they surprise me a lot. I'll be, you know, listening to the radio and all of a sudden a song will come on and it's really great and I have no idea who it is and I see that it's Five Sauce and I'm like, this is this sounds so different than like the idea of them that I have in my head. Um, right. I think yeah. they're trying to they're trying to run away from the like teenage because they were trying to be like that like pop punk but like top forty pop punk vibe. Right. right. Like a like a. Uh, mid 2010s version of like a sum 41 almost yeah yeah and you know they had the hair and like the but now they're just like it's so much more refined and like it's just more I guess mature is kind of the word I would use for it. it's just very like just really solid songs yeah. um, and they kind of are in their own lane which I appreciate too yeah, definitely. And then Charlie Puth, I mean, he's like a musical genius. I mean, he's a graduate of Berkeley School of Music. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's so, so like musically smart. And, and, you know, people who are kind of who speak the language of music know that it's also very mathematical. Um, yeah. And there's like a like there's like formulas and like a science behind it all. And uh, if you ever like watch his his videos, he does uh, behind the scenes of him producing it's like watching like a mad scientist work kind of, you know, and the way he will layer things on and take them off. And it's, it's really, really cool. It reminds, it's similar to me and you might, you might roll your eyes. I don't know, but to me, it's similar to like how Ariana Grande vocal produces. I don't know if you've ever seen videos of her, like in the booth, like doing vocal takes and and retakes and all that, but it's like almost watching a scientist work. It's really cool. Yeah. I think when you become like, like Ariana Grande, she's, she's a master of her her craft like her voice and so I think it is really awesome that um because I have seen her comp vocals before right. you know she and when I when I heard that I definitely got more of a respect for her even though I already she's like first of all one of my crushes for sure but yeah um she yeah you can just tell like she knows probably all of her strengths and definitely some of her weaknesses and like that's the kind of the thing in the vocal I hate being in the vocal booth um I, cause you're just, you hear everything and you're like, yeah. oh my God, that was terrible. Uh, <laughs> but it's nice when you have like someone like coaching, you know, like not coaching, but the produ- a good producer will kind of be like, you know, no, you got it. Like next one. And, or, you know, I really loved what you did there. Like do that differently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely not on par with her by any means. So I'm never going to be, <laughs> I need someone there being like, all right, that was, you can do better. And I'll be like, okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like in your next single, I'm going to hear some whistle tones. <laughs> I can, I mean, I can do the, you know, the Maroon 5, like high falsetto, but, uh, uh, you know, cause sometimes I'll do cover yeah. gigs for money and, um, I, I do the sugar that's about as high as I can go. And I'm just All right, like, well, we'll keep working on it. You yeah, know? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So your, your songs have been featured on countless TV shows. I mean, you guys have been featured on Netflix, on Hulu, um, on the CW, on MTV. Uh, what was it like hearing your music on TV for the first time? Oh, um, yeah, I think the first time um, we had a placement was on uh, MTV. And like, even though it's like on a show that, um, you know, isn't like it's, it was on teen moms. And like, that's obviously not like my show that I'm like, right. You know, I'm going to go be like, I can't wait to go home and watch teen moms. I'm you not, don't, you don't relate to teen mom. Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, but just being the fact that like, it was MTV, like I grew up watching TRL when I was younger and um, I used to watch MTV too and the fuse network. So like those, it was just super cool to kind of see, that we were featured on, you know, this like legendary network. Um, 
and obviously they don't do they don't do very many music videos anymore but it was just cool man it, we had like a little watching party with uh my drummer and his wife and you know we we're just drinking and we we're like ah you know we're on tv so it was it was kind of it's just one of those things that you're like all right is this uh it like happens and then i don't know i feel like you're excited but you're also like well you know okay well like what's next right kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. What was, I mean, obviously Teen Mom isn't like the top of your list, but what what is like the coolest show that your music has been featured in? Or like one where you were just like, oh, this is like a moment, you know? I um, I think when my friends told me that we were featured on um, Selling Sunset, which I'd actually watched a couple episodes and I thought it was kind of cool. Also kind of a show that like isn't necessarily my... But just the fact, because I mean, it was like top 10 on Netflix for for a bit when it first, uh, the second season just came out. And that was when I got everyone kind of reaching out and being like, oh my God, that's so cool. Uh, And so that was pretty surreal to me because I didn't even know, like it just, they, I got a notification. They were like, by the way. (laughs) Well, that's a nice, that's a nice little notification to get. Yeah, it is. But I'm also like, you know, that's it's so the music and it's just the entertainment industry. I'm like, of course, like, you know, I have this massive milestone in my career and I'm so excited. Like I would have been so excited, to, you know, regardless. But it's like, well, man, I could have, you know, I, I would have been nice to like know that it's coming out or right. you know, get prepped up. But it was cool either way. I mean, um, my friend Elena, um, well, you know, Elena Cross. Mm-hmm. Um so she was a, a writer on that song as well. So oh, awesome. Well, congrats to you both. It's a great show. You should watch it. I definitely recommend Selling Sunset over Teen Mom. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and like everyone's beautiful on that show. And I'm like, yeah. I was like, okay. And they're all making so much money. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of the whole vibe of the show. Like very, very diametrically opposite of Teen Mom. Like S- Selling Sunset is all aspirational. So like yeah. visually it's beautiful. Um, you know, it's like real estate porn. All of the the women are gorgeous and then they need like amazing music to set the tone too. So that's also a compliment because I don't know, Teen Mom, you're, you kind of wonder like, well, what is the tone that they're trying to set? But on, selling, on Selling Sunset, you know, it's like, it's sexy. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, that, that would probably be the, the main one that I was like pretty stoked. Yeah. yeah. Do sync placements influence your writing at all? Like, do you guys ever write with that kind of goal in mind of like, you know, I, I have a, a hook that I think would be really great for a show or um, do you guys just kind of, you know, write and then pitch whatever you have after? Yeah, it's it's a different way of writing because um, in Selling Sunset, actually, like there was a TikTok that went viral because they were talking about like how all the songs kind of like have the same kind of tone or it's very like badass girl girl mm-hmm. like um power vibes but uh sync is such a different world like I got introduced through it through my friend Elena and she kind of took a chance on me because we'd never written together and she had she'd already been kind of getting tons of placements and she was like well let's just like write a song and see how it goes and then four or five songs later you know it just kind of became a thing but it's very like you have to be very strategic with the words you use, um, you know, because they're going to want to hear something very easy to place in between. Cause you're not really like the focus of the, you know, the, the, 
not episode, but like the, the scene, you right. know, you're kind of laying the foundation of the scene. So if you're like, just, you know, have a lot of words, like really jabby lyrics, they're probably not going to want it. So you kind of have to learn how to space it out. So it's like, it's almost kind of like a science or like a mathematical, like different form of creativity. Like you have to go into it. Um, they send us like briefs, which basically, so we write around that. So they basically tell us what they want or like what, um, what they're thinking. And we try and like write that for them. Yeah. Well, you mentioned um, TikTok and obviously social media is huge um, in terms of cultivating people's careers. How do you guys use social media and how has it been uh, helpful in the success of Drive Drive? Honestly, like Instagram. So, I mean, we started like three and a half years ago, but we, so Instagram and Twitter were kind of our, like our babies where we started. And we, I had this idea. I was like, all right, I don't want to, um, I don't really want to start promoting the band until we have like things to put out. But so we had branding and everything ready to go. So we launched our Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and it, you know, it was all very cohesive and, uh, and then we just started getting people following us being like, well, who are you guys? And like, I, you know, I don't, I don't see any music. And so we kind of, it was weird. Like we kind of built these relationships with people before we even released music on, on Instagram and Twitter. And then when we did, they just, thank God they liked it because, you know, <laughs> we were all kind of like, why are you guys following us? And, you know, like trying to talk to us and we don't even have anything to give you, but um, they, those were like our day one, kind of fans and you know they're still around and um we just we really wanted to make it like a community to where you know because I mean if they're investing their time and energy into you like you know we should invest it back into them so I always make it a point to like if I'm not commenting on you know everything that they comment you know we try and do that like as quick as possible um we try and like you know reshare everything that they post on their stories um, just to show that like, we're not just some band, like, you know, taking everything from them and never like trying to give it back. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, that clearly is working because you guys have formed this community. Um, do you have a name for your fans? Like, are they the drive drivers or something? <laughs> uh, we, we honestly, that was like, so we had started this like little group. Um, it was in Twitter and it was like a little Twitter private group. And they, that was like one of their things that they would talk about. They're like, all right, are we like the, co I mean, there's so many things like, are we the co-pilots? Are we the drivers? Are we the, um, you know, I mean, it's, uh, I'd say, yeah, like the, the drivers or, you know, something like that. Like it's, yeah. we have like fan, fan clubs and groups that are like on social media, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, whatever they want to be called, yeah. we'll, let them do that well, so i'm one of them so i'm gonna say <laughs> that we are called the drivers and, and and no you guys have done a really good job like you said of of building these relationships and forming this community because it does translate off of social media i mean especially during the past two years when a lot of artists and bands haven't been able to hit the road and kind of like come out of the pandemic you you guys have been traveling all over you guys have been doing shows and and you're getting fans to come out and that's saying something because a lot of people aren't really comfortable going to to live shows yet but people want to see you so you're doing something right thank god you know it's uh <laughs> yeah 
it's such a weird um I think the the entertainment industry especially music is there's no like right or wrong way of doing anything you just kind of have to find your own path and um you know because there's all these blogs or master classes of how to be like how to go viral or do anything like that and I've never really I don't think I'd enjoy I, as much. I can't really, I don't know. My, my drummer Phillips probably going to yell at me. Cause he'd be like, no, we want to go viral, but it'd be great. But at the same time, like I've been working, you know, like my whole life to like get to, you know, a point where I can do music full time. And I'm luckily I can do it now, but you know, I think it really is like the long haul, the artists that have been grinding and they're ready for like that next step, you know? Um, and it just, I think it's, it's always a, the tortoise that wins not necessarily like the hare so yeah um, an old analogy that probably no one no one knows anymore but <laughs> <laughs> no but i i think you're right i totally agree and i mean yeah obviously there are uh those you know one in a million cases where someone goes viral overnight and then they parlay that into a lifelong career but the truth of the matter is is most of those viral moments fade away and they become 15 minutes of fame, you know? And uh, we used to have a name for that back in the nineties and that was called a one hit wonder, you know? Yeah. So you don't want to be that. You, you, you want to be the, the tortoise that yeah. slowly, slowly works his way to like maintaining that level of success, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think you appreciate things more when, when you have worked that hard for it, um, just because you're like, you know, Hey, like it wasn't just like a fluke or I think that's what I would be worried about if, if just one thing just took off and I'd be like, well, yeah, like people love what they're hearing or they love what we're doing, but you know, then I would just be freaked out. Like, well, what if the next thing's not as good or, you know, so I think it's kind of cool that we've just had like a very consistent and growing fan base and, you know, more people are telling each other about us. And, um, but yeah, like all I've ever really wanted is just like a community of, of people that just, you know, believe in the music and it's, you know, very like respectful and loving and, you know, but, and I'd like to, you know, like I try and have messages in each song and, you know, just try and, you know, give people hope because I feel like now more than ever, a lot of people need that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so you guys, like I said, have been able to travel the country. You guys have been gigging all over. Um, what have been some of your uh, favorite spots that you guys have hit? Oh, um, man. The last time we played New York city was honestly like really, that was pretty cool. Uh, we so the first time we played we didn't really know like it, you know because the first time you play anywhere you're like i have no idea what to expect and we and, didn't even... and every every uh market's music scene is so different you know like gigging oh, yeah. gigging in nashville is so different than gigging in la than so different than gigging in new york yeah especially people that that tour like that we tour with and then they'll come and be like oh, i want to play in nashville and i'm like all right, just know like it's all musicians. It's a very different crowd. And they're like, why is no one dancing? I'm like, I told you. I was like, you know, it's, it's, it's because they're judging you. <laughs> yeah. That's why I mean we are like lucky to to we do have like a really cool crowd in Nashville, but most of them don't even live here. They like they'll come. I know from. we all left too. Yeah. Every I mean, like you said, there was like that really small pop circle, but like, you know, and, and again, I was there in 2016 or 2017, but like the the majority have all kind of dispersed and gone to LA or gone to other places. I know. 
you guys, you guys just <laughs> left me. No, it's okay. I, I like that I've got friends all over. So it's- yeah, well, and especially when you're someone who does get to travel a lot, it gives you the opportunity to, you know, see people when you're out gigging and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. West Coast is a little hard to get to, but or not the coast, but just the West in general. But yeah. I'll, I'll be there soon. Well, we're um, here. I, we're here waiting. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, L.A. was really fun to play, um, and I, I would like to go back to to L.A. Yeah, I mean, uh, my uh, time in Nashville was short lived, and I we moved from L.A. and I think that's why. Uh, Nashville was hard for me is because it's just so different than LA and and that's what I was accustomed to. Um, but I, I need to know, cause I've never like toured performing. What is touring like? Like, is it like what we see in the movies? Like, are you guys just like, you know, destroying hotel rooms all night long and just like passed out on the bus all day? Uh, well, you're like, I, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely like, it is, it's not for everyone. I, you know, when a lot of people from that do move to Nashville and they want to pursue music full time and like, you gotta, you gotta love it. Um, you gotta like being on the road. Um, you gotta be able to sleep in a, in a cramped, um, you know, tour van or tour bus, or we've taken an SUV because it was three of us. So it was like, you know, we were like, we're going to save money and not worry about a trailer. I mean, I've done, we've done everything. We've slept in the car, uh, when it's like, you know, hundred degrees and we're just, we wake up and we're just like drenched in sweat. Like, Oh my God, why did we <laughs> turn the AC on? Um, yeah, it, it, like I said, it's not for everyone. Um, I know a lot of people that have, you know, tapped out because of it, but it's mainly like, it's a lot of traveling, a lot of hotel rooms, um, you do get to explore either before the show or after if you guys, you know, if, like the band wants to go party. Um, it's definitely cool when you like know people there because then or, you know, if the fans want to hang out with you after and they can like show you around like the local spots um, just because you're going to end up doing a, a lot of like touristy things. And yeah, I feel like when you're in a city, you always want to do like, yeah, like touristy things are cool, but you want to like be in the heart of the city, like what, you know, like what the locals want to do. Yeah. So it has been cool um, touring in the same cities because we just kind of build this like group and they keep coming back to the shows and then, you know, we can all go do stuff together or, you know, it's just like one big like family reunion when you get to play a show and everyone's there just like having a great time. So it's crazy that like you'll drive four to eight hours and depending on the set length, like it's so worth it for all that time to just even play a 30 minute set of like pure adrenaline all the way to like a four hour set, depending on like what kind of, you know, set, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's definitely a lifestyle that you like, you need to be ready for. (laughs) Yeah. So you mentioned partying with your fans, the the drivers. Um, How many drivers have you fucked? Oh my God. Uh, so (laughs) definitely that's definitely not a zero (laughs) yeah no i mean i'll say like with drive drive like i'm pretty i'm always like thinking of like the career and like i i want them to keep coming back and i do feel like it gets it gets messy when you start like having sex with fans um but it also is a great way to get them to come back, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're, you know, if, if you're not a, a total, you know, 
I mean, hopefully if they want to come back, yeah. uh, if they're not coming back to the shows and you're doing something terribly, terribly exactly. Terrible, so. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, you know, probably a couple, um, but uh, I think I've definitely hooked up with more people doing like the, the cover band thing, like where I, um, cause I do that sometimes on the weekends for, for extra money. And it's like a four hour long set and these girls are just there the whole time. Is it like a lot of weddings and stuff? No, this is just like straight bars. And oh, stuff. okay. So, and they're there, they're like, you know, they're drinking, they're having a good time and we're playing like all the stuff that they want to hear and they just stay. And I'm like, you know, they'll come up to me after the show and it, they treat me like a drive drive show it's like very similar like they treat me like i'm in like an, an original band and i'm like guys i'm like just singing covers and they're just like but they're you know they're like they don't get that in you know indianapolis or st louis and even though they're big cities like they don't have like the i will say like nashville's talent pool is just so incredible so yeah you know the band that you have behind you is just you know awesome so well and even if it's so so you know, my first thought was like, oh, I was thinking like at a wedding because I was thinking like horny yeah. bridesmaids. But if you're playing, you know, clubs and bars in Nashville, it's probably a bunch of horny bachelorette party girls anyway. So it's like a similar demographic. <laughs> yeah. Nashville. I mean, Indianapolis, St. Louis. Um, we were just in Louisville, um, which I'm, you know, I'm not a big fan of Kentucky, but Louisville is pretty cool. So uh yeah, it's just all over. I was in Iowa City at one point and I was like, oh, Iowa's going to be weird. But Iowa was really cool. Like there was like three, four hundred people just freaking out. Like because I mean, all they have there to do is drink White Claw and um, eat corn. So it's like when they get, you know, bands to come through, it's it's like a party. You know, they go hard. That's that's awesome. It's so funny because I feel like my perception would have have been the opposite. Like I feel like you know when you're traveling around for drive drive, I just feel like you'd be dicking drivers left and right. But but when you're like gigging as a as a cover band, I mean that's who would have thought? You know who would have? I thought? wouldn't have thought. And I'm like, oh, this is gonna be super lame. But then it's actually a lot of fun. And I only took the job just because this was like right in the middle of well, kind of like towards the end of where we were finally like allowing, you know, people to go out and like go back to bars. And I was like, I got to play music. I was like, drive, drive, isn't going to be able to tour for at least like six, seven months because our tours are very different. Um, and we have to do them ourselves and, um, it's like ticketed events. And of course, like it was weird. So they were like, we're going to open the bars, but ticketed show events, we're not going to allow bands to do. And I'm like, well, yeah, but you can track the amount of people with a ticketed event. You can't track people that just walk right. into the bar. So I was like, that's so stupid. Anyways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so I was like, all right, well, I need money. I'm, you know, I, I'm bored and I'm going to do this stuff. And they were like, yeah. So I started it and I ended up really liking it. So it's kind of been a little extra side money when, you know, I'm not doing a ton of drive drive gigs and yeah. I mean, the, that, the artist life is, it's just always, uh, looking forward to the next gig, the next hustle and keeping it moving. Yeah. I, I, anyone that's ever, you know, like I said, there's no right or wrong way of doing it. There's like eight different ways to get one, one place. Right. And, uh, I still, you know, get asked like, you know, Oh, like, you know, are you in a band? Like, what do you do besides this? And then I just tell them about drive, drive. And then, you know, I've got other fans in that city too. So I think you can build relationships in anything. It's just really all about you and how you like approach it. 
Yeah, absolutely. So what are your guys' goals for the band moving forward in 2022? What is next for Drive Drive? Um, we are right in the process of um, pre-producing our EP. And then in, I think, the second week of February, we're going to be in the studio two to three times a week with our producer, um, really just grinding away. Um, it should be about five to six songs. And it's kind of the future of like what we want our sound to be. Um, it's just going to be, you know, all the songs that we've really just been super excited about. And um, we're definitely going to be touring. And we also just signed a college booking um, with a college booking agency. So oh, cool. our lawyers typing out an, an agreement for that. Um, he's oh great. God, look at you with a lawyer, man, big things popping. He's, uh, he's, it's so funny because, uh, we're like one of his few pop, um, clients and he just struck gold with, uh, he's Walker Hayes's, um, and so we're all just like, Hey, if you heard that Applebee's song and it's like (laughs) everywhere. And he's like, yeah, I was his, I've been his lawyer for 15 years and this finally is like happening. So, um, but he's awesome. He's like, he's one of those guys that is like deadpan, you know, when you talk to him. So, you know, he's a good lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Well, I'm going to be keeping an eye out for your guys' next single and an Applebee's commercial then. I think that's, that's 2022 goals. I don't know. I'm more of a Chili's guy. So I'll take any corporate money. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. All right, Alex, tell all of our listeners where they can find you. Uh, you can find us pretty much on any streaming platforms. You can go to justdrivedrive.com or uh, all of our socials are at justdrivedrive. And please uh, message us, send us a DM, comment. We will comment right back and we'd love to meet you. Yeah, he uh, he hooks up with fans at the show. So check it out. <laughs> and that is my interview with Alex Johnson from the band Drive Drive. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Blonde Hair, Black Heart. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Blonde Hair, Black Heart, and you can find all of our additional links in our link in bio. Don't forget to turn on your notifications or subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening so you never miss an episode. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.